Hey everyone, before we start, just want to let everybody know, in the last part of it, um, maybe the last like 20 minutes, we use um, explicit language, so if you're listening with kids, you might want to put some headphones in when you get to that point. Alright, enjoy the episode. Faith, a new stage of God's relationship with humanity. Uh, yeah, I'm drawing blanks right now. You're gonna totally be like, ah! I, I've, I'm already like l- trying to listen to the to the people who are listening, the shouting the names right now. Hello and welcome to Evangel Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host George Benson. I'm your other co-host Don Sheever, and uh, we are um, back this week again. We're like pretty soon. We're going to be like the beacon of consistency. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, we will. I've. Uh, I love that idea. Evander Bros, beacon of consistency. Yep. Champions of champions of uh, mediocrity. That's a t-shirt right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so before we get started on our, uh, our axe stuff, you know, the field guide for overthrowing oppression and empire. Um, Don, I know that uh, something our listeners may not know but we've talked about for a little bit uh, behind the scenes and as was part of the uh, dust church um, service this last Sunday, but you are going on sabbatical. I am. I'm very, very grateful to my church community for creating space for me to be able to have that opportunity. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, So this means that you, that there are going to be a couple of weeks uh, and some time that you're not going to be on the podcast. We'll have people filling in. Um, but, you know, you uh, we talked about wanting to talk about the importance of sabbatical a little bit before we get into acts. And so, yeah, um, yeah I'm, what it will take, go ahead. Well, I mean, obviously the word is right in line with the term Sabbath, right? Sabbatical and Sabbath are very similar words. And, you know, just the idea of Sabbathing is is very powerful. And, you know, to go in line with our discussion um, on overcoming empires, Sabbath, I've made the case before on our podcast, is one of the most brilliant protests uh, against empire, right? Because empire desires or requires people to go 24 seven and Sabbath refuses that Sabbath is a a protest that says we won't continue to turn the cogs of empire, uh, 24 seven. So I think the sabbatical kind of creates a little bit more, uh, intensifies that it's kind of like, you know, um, whether it be, thinking about a Sabbath year that's talked about in the text where the land is left to go fallow um, and it's not harvested. 
in some ways that's kind of how I'm viewing this time for myself is that um, just as time passes, weeds have grown up in my life. Uh, the soil is not as healthy as it once was. And um, so this is a time for me to let uh, the field of my soul, the field of, of you know, ministry of just so many other things just kind of go fallow for a time and hopefully restore those nutrients and healthiness. So that way I'll be ready for another season of, of growing and harvesting when I come back. So that's kind of the heart of it. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's unfortunate in our culture that we really don't have this built in for everyone. It's, it's rare um, occupations that allow for it. Um, I think academics tends to like higher academics tends to have sabbatical opportunities. Um, pastors, although this is my first sabbatical in 20 years of ministry. Um, so, uh, but oftentimes in the pastorate uh, that's afforded to pastors to experience. And I just don't get the impression that that's something that, well, I know for a fact, it's not something that most occupations allow for. Um, I mean, we have to fight our rear ends off just to get uh, paternity leave, um, much less a sabbatical that isn't for a specific reason other than to uh, you know, get healthy again. But boy, that would be a, you know, we do that in two week bursts or one week bursts when we take vacation time or something from a job. But to have that extended amount of time is so valuable. And usually the first week of vacation is always trying to relax and get your mind out of work. And the second week of vacation is gearing yourself back up for it, um, which is why it's exciting that. Uh, which means of actual vacation if you take a two-week vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, I mean, and yours is going through the end of the year. So. Yeah. Um, our church is really kind and generous. And uh, so it's at minimum through December 31st. And then uh, we'll reevaluate sometime in November to see whether or not that needs to be extended up and up until possibly you know six total months, which would be February, the end of February. So, yeah. Well, um, you know, I'd, it's uh, it's man, it's so weird. This year is just getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> As in, you know, it's. Um, I mean, it feels like it's the perfect time to do it, but unfortunately, you can't really go anywhere. Uh, right. And then at the same time, it's just like, you know, trying to find ways in our schedules to, to get together and whatnot. And now it's, now that I'm, my schedule's finally normalizing, it's, uh, well, see you next year. Well, um, yeah, there is that, that kind of oddness to it. You know, it's interesting with dust is that, you know, we're such a tight community of people, um, and, you know, I, I'm a pastor's kid. And so I grew up in a church setting where my dad really wasn't friends with people in the church. You know, he had acquaintances and stuff and maybe would occasionally go play around a golf or something with someone from the church. But it wasn't like he would call the folks up and, and just want to hang out or be with people. Um, and for me, almost my entire community of relationships and friendships is in uh, in our church, and um, and so it's it's a strange time, right? It's a strange moment to try and separate myself out from that church and creating those boundaries and such to 
um, to take a break. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how it plays out. I'm kind of interested to see in the way it works and everything. And, uh, you know, the first two weeks, I'm just kind of completely separating uh, out. And then after those two weeks, um, I get to I get to make initiative to reach out to people to hang out or be around if I desire to do that. So I'm kind of curious to see where I'm going to where I'm going to be in two weeks and how that's going to feel and whether I'm at, at two weeks, I'm like, no, I, I want to continue just kind of taking a break for a little bit. Or if I'm sitting there watching the clock tick down to that exact minute when I'm allowed to start texting people. So, um, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I am. I am too for you. It's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm excited for you. I'm, so we will be checking in with you periodically throughout, uh, throughout the Sabbath. And, um, you know, so our listeners, just so you know, like I said, we're going to have a couple of fill-in co-hosts through the end of the year. So things are going to be changing up a little bit. We'll still be continuing with our series on acts and we'll be sprinkling some interviews in and just some other conversations. And I'm, I'm excited for you, Don. Thanks. Me too. I'm not going to disappear completely from our podcast. It's just, there will be several weeks in which I will not be a part of it. Exactly. So while we're, while we still have you today, let's jump into Acts 5. Now you had said that uh, you wanted to do a couple of episodes on Acts 5. Why is that? Well, Acts 5 is just, is very episodic, right? Like it's, it's broken up into these interesting episodes of, that seem to be somewhat separate from another, each other. And you know, as all things go in the text, it's all one fluid story, but I think we would do it a disservice if we tried to blast through the episodes. And in addition to that, um, you know, when we get to a chapter, and, and George, you experienced this, I think particularly you felt it when we did Acts 2, and I relegated our conversation to like one or two verses at the very end of the chapter and just ignored the rest of the chapter. Yeah. These, the two episodes, the episode we spoke about last week and the episode we're going to speak about this week, I think are both worthy of conversation. Um, and so uh, not to say the other ones weren't, it's just, it's hard not to get bogged down and make this axe uh, discussion last 17 years. And so, uh, but this is one where I think it, it warrants having two conversations about Great. So with that, let's, um, let's get started. So why don't you tell me the story as you remember it of Ananias and Sapphira? Okay. Uh, basically a husband and wife team sell their land and decide to join up with the apostles. Uh, the husband shows up first says, this is all the money I have. Peter either knows he's lying or the spirit tells him, that it's not all of the money and he falls down dead like that. And then uh, sometime later his wife shows up and says, where's my husband? Peter's like, Hey, how much did you sell this money or this land for? She's like, Oh, the same amount of money that my husband said. And then he says something, I think to the, like lying to the Holy spirit or I remember it being really weird. Like Peter was killing them via the Holy spirit. Right. And then after the, uh, 
the disciples of the apostles or those who are in the, in the group where Ananias and Sapphira show up to after they're done burying her husband, they come back and there's another dead body. And so you've got to, you know, fulfill the the friend code of getting rid of it. Um, and they do. Yeah. So that's what I remember. Okay. That's, that's pretty good memory. So why, why did they sell the land to begin with? Um, I don't know. I don't remember if it's ever said I'm, but I would assume whatever it into it is because everybody were selling their possessions and, and whatnot. Uh, they were joining in with what was happening with the, the apostles. Yeah. So, I mean, what's going on right now, we, we saw in Acts two is everyone sold everything they had and took care of the needs of everyone in the community. And so there was this pattern that was happening of people selling all of their property and putting it into kind of like a coffer to make sure all the needs of everyone were met. Right. Um, and so they wanted to participate in that, but they held back some of the money. Right. Yeah. So one of the things I really want to get at initially is this isn't a simple, like this isn't just they, they misled the apostles, right? Because like, I would say there'd be a lot more people falling down dead as the offering plate went by them. Uh, if this was just about misleading the people around them about how generous they are. Right. I think there's a lot of people in our faith communities that create an atmosphere around themselves of a higher generosity than what, they're really doing so why why do they die here but we're not seeing people dropping dead as the offering plate passes uh nowadays i have no idea but as you were talking about the um wanting to create this kind of sense of uh or control the narrative around our our giving or how generous we are um the, I was thinking about the giving of alms in Matthew five and just like how they would go, the, you know, the hypocrites or the actors go out on the streets and they give and talk a lot about how, how much they're giving, um, which I'm not sure I ever, I'm not sure how strong the connection is between acts five and Matthew five in that, but uh, that was the first time I'd ever thought about that. So, What's the example that is given right before this? Uh, that everybody had what they needed. Hold on, I'm looking it up. Uh, Acts 4, verse 32. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything was owned in or was held in common. Oh. Uh, there was a Levite, a native of Cyphorus, Joseph, to whom the, uh, the apostles gave the name Barnabas. Uh, he sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay. Do you, so do you spot anything that's strange in that? Uh, a Levite owning land? Right. So tell me more about that. 
Uh, if I remember correctly, if it was it numbers, it gives the instructions of what a Levite can and cannot have. And I think one of them was owning land within the city. But I feel like they were allowed to own land, like a, a field of some type outside of it. Say that again? For some reason, I've got to, it, it, I remember <clears throat> them not being able to own land within the city limits, but were able to own a field outside of, the, outside of Jerusalem. Are you looking it up? Yeah, I'm trying to find my notes. Uh, oh, duh, I'm looking at Acts 5, not 4. <laughs> okay, let's see. Yeah, in Numbers and Deuteronomy, it talks about priests not being able to own land. But I don't have a verse written down, but let me see if I can find it. Uh, okay, Numbers 35. In the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the Israelites to give from the inheritance that they possess towns for the Levites to live in. You shall also give the Levites pasture land surrounding the towns. The towns shall be theirs to live in <clears throat> and their pasture lands shall be for their cattle, for their livestock, for their animals. Uh That's what so, I got right now. At least we can see from the text, right? That land ownership um, could have been, it could have been something that was abandoned uh, by the time it got to, to this time in history, right? That yeah. the world has changed. They've abandoned it. Um, he, it could be that uh, it only applied to land in Israel or what have you. But I do think it's interesting. I think it's important for us to recognize that it points out a Levite who doesn't get inheritance, right? So no land is inherited by them. So the other tribes, right? So the, the, um, the Jubilee, the year of Jubilee does not really apply much to a Levite when it comes to people being returned their land because the Levite didn't inherit any land. And so if indeed this Levite owned this land and, and let's just say, systems of the change, whatever um, oh, sure. he had done it, he had done it legally or he had done it in a way that honored God that still for him to finally own land was very significant, right? Because it wasn't part of his inheritance. So it would have been for some through other means that he came about to own this. So in some ways his land almost becomes more uh, sacred. Uh, because it's unusual or it's more complicated for a Levite to have this land. And so they use him as like the example, like this is how it should be done. Barnabas uh, gets it. Yes. That this Levite absolutely gets it. Um, and so he comes and he gives everything and he lays the money at the feet of the apostles. Right. And then that's immediately followed up. I mean, verse chapter five, verse one begins with, a big butt, one T, right? So, but a man named Ananias 
with the consent of his wife, Sapphire, sold a piece of property. Now, I want to make sure that we're noticing a couple things here about how much agency women do have in the text, right? Um, yes. It's, he sold the land with her consent. She was also considered a valid witness. Um, and this is part of Judaism, not something new with Christianity. We often want to make Jesus the great feminist, though I believe Jesus was a great feminist. It wasn't earth-shattering change from Judaism. Judaism was already very much held a prominent role for women oh, yeah. um, in the text. So, so, George, why is it a problem that they kept some of the money? Um, I don't think it is a problem that they kept some of the money. I mean, it seems like that the issue is they're saying that that's what it sold for. They're not being honest and open about it. So why don't we hear about people dying today? People that are dishonest about how much they give. I have no idea. Um, significant in this moment would you say um i mean the i'm not entirely sure what's so significant other than peter being tapped into the the spirit which he was uh tapped into a couple times and yeah i don't know um so let's 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 imagine maybe it's the newness of the messianic movement, right? Yeah. I mean, or I mean, we are at the birth of a group of messianic Jews who believe Jesus to be Messiah, believe that the messianic era is being ushered in. And so they're at this new stage of understanding the world and God and everything, right? So it's yeah. like, it's kind of the first gatherings of this new movement. So I think that's significant. Oh, sure. So can you think of another story in the text where it's one of the first gatherings of a new stage of, or new evolution of the faith that two people bring something in uh, and they both die? Hmm. Uh, I mean, and it's connected to a Levite. It's connected to a Levite. I mean, my first thought went to Exodus when they're receiving Torah. Uh, but I'm not sure. Who's one of our first prominent Levites in Scripture? Aaron. Yep. So associated with Aaron, two people die at the beginnings of a new stage of faith, a new stage of God's relationship with humanity. Uh, yeah, I'm drawing blanks right now. You're going to totally be like, ah, I, I've, I'm already like trying to listen to the, to the people who are listening, the shouting the names right now. Right. So Aaron had, two sons and they took alien fire if if your facial expression was audible it would be hilarious 
So tell me, tell me about this. No, no, keep going. So Aaron has two sons. They take what is considered alien fire or foreign fire. You know all about it if you watch Ancient Aliens. Continue. Um, and they take it in to the temple and the fire consumes them and they both die. Right. This is the very first worship service, basically, in the temple. Um, and so it has this this moment that it's right at the beginning of the temple service. And there is something that is not as God had requested it, not as God had commanded it, not as God had uh, hoped. And two people are struck dead. You, you, you're functioning with me here? I am, yes. So why does that matter? Like, or am I making a strange leap? What, what could be the connection? What could be the understanding of this? I mean, fire is fire, right? Come on. I mean, sure. But, you know, you've already been given the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's precedence that's starting to be set up. And I mean, I guess the importance of it is, you know, I'd say you want things to go well the first time. And say some people, I'd say, I would say you want things to go well the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very uh, theatrical or not, not just theatrical, but like it draws attention to, what's going on like this was supposed to be important and now because something wasn't done correctly you'll remember this going forward yeah which you know is uncomfortable because it's one of those things that's uncomfortable in the text that we have to wrestle with so i'm probably going to make this entire episode uncomfortable you do every week oh thank you i'm gonna make uncomfortable all right is I'm not going to give any answers. I'm going to hopefully put on you and our listeners the way that I've discipled you in the past and I disciple others. Um, and that's going to be, it's my, it's my, my sabbatical going away gift. Um, even if I might be here next week, yet yeah. to be um, is why does this matter? What is the connection between, I think it's Abihu and Nadab, Nadab, I don't know how to say their names, um, and Ananias and Sapphira. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, what should we assume based on their name? Uh, I have no idea. They're probably not Jewish. Oh, okay. So they're foreigners. Uh, so they have alien offerings, right? Um, and it's dishonest, right? And now you can you can reject my ideas or whatever, and that's that's completely fine, George. You know I'm okay with all of that. Um, one of the things it says at the end of Acts four is it says there was not a needy person amongst them. What as a good student of the text. Where does that immediately send your memory? Uh, your memory. To Shavuot. Close. Okay. 
And by close, I mean, yes, it's there, but that phrase is specific to a passage in the Torah. Um, I, I, I don't know. Not, not, not the specific passage. Uh, I mean, yeah, grasping at straws, I'd say I want it to be when they're talking about manna, but I'm not entirely sure. So if, let's see here, I'm going to read a section to you and see if it, if it jogs your memory. Uh, uh, let's see. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all the commands I am giving you. For the Lord your God will bless you as God has promised, and you will lend to many nations but will borrow for none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. Though if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near so that you do not show ill will toward the needy amongst your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So holiness code? So this is in Deuteronomy 15. Yeah. And it says the Jubilee. Yes. And the whole idea is that if you do everything I've commanded, there will be no need amongst you. Right. And so that whole idea of there will be no need amongst you is the same phrase that's being used here. And there were no needy amongst them. Right. So this new group of people, this, the apostles were cultivating a community of people that were creating this Jubilee type moment, the year of the Lord, if you will. Right. Um, and all of this picture is being played out. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira show up. And or you have the first worship service, the first worship gathering in the temple where God, what does the temple represent to Israel? God's physical presence in or amongst them. Yeah. So, and I, I keep saying temple, but it would have been tabernacle. I apologize. Um, but in this tabernacle experience, it's God neighboring with Israel. Right. So what are the rules around like, why do you imagine the Torah laws are what they are and why it's so important now that there's going to be a tabernacle? Could you phrase that a little, little differently? I'm not sure I, I probably what you're asking. remember what I just said, but so you have all these laws of Torah. Sure that are given at the same time that the decree to build a tabernacle is given. Mm -hmm. 
what do those two things have in common? Why are they important that a tabernacle is being built in the midst of a group of people who have agreed to follow the laws of Torah? Um, I guess it would be... the idea that um, neighbor-centric, community-focused, God is now physically in their midst, or there's a, a representation of that. So it would be um, working with, now that working with doesn't make sense. Uh, there would be a want to, to try and, and, and do it better or a want to follow because of the, the remembrance that God is in their midst, not some on, on some mountaintop shouting down, but uh, in and among them. Yeah. So imagine you had someone that you wanted to come and hang out with, with you and your group of friends. Um, and they were important at your eyes what are some of the things that you would want to do to prepare for that? Uh, get my shit together. Like, sure. But what are things you would ask them? Uh, to be open to the new person, welcoming, um, explain that, uh, how I view this person. So they understand the meaning for me sure i i feel i always feel bad when i do this to you um me too <laughs> so i mean something more basic than that if i visit you yeah i clean my house you'd clean your house you sure. would so ask me what dietary restrictions do i have um you i mean maybe, right you'd ask me like um what what are things is um, am i allergic to anything yeah. is you know you have cats right um like are, are you allergic to cats um you know are you comfortable sleeping in our spare room right yeah. whatever it might be you would be asking me about accommodations right you would be trying to accommodate with me uh you might ask me if i have any physical res uh, restrictions uh that might keep me from sleeping on the second floor whatever it might be right like you would be asking me because why why would you be asking me those questions because i want to honor you and not be a jackass that's that is i mean i think that's in the bible somewhere yeah, so probably so it's this picture that these are the things that i need or these are the things that, you know, it sounds, it sounds awkward somewhat to say it this way, but these are the requirements that I have to live in your midst. Um, these are the things that are important to me. These are the things that uh, if I'm going to consider uh, spending significant time in your midst, these are the things that I would need to make me feel comfortable, to make me feel loved, to make me feel. And in a lot of ways, if we read Leviticus, maybe particularly, but if we read a lot of Torah, it is how do we provide a neighborhood that's so compelling that God moves in, right? 
and so this is that picture i would argue of like the tabernacle type language is is what kind of people um can we become that would allow the god and the creator of all things to want to move in next door right into the tabernacle so that is kind of what's going on and then the very first day that god is moving in so to speak right and i don't want to get into this whole thing yes god is outside the four walls of the church yes god is everywhere i this is all imagery, ritual imagery that I believe Israel believed deeply. Um, the very first time that the neighbors show up at the house to light the fire, they bring in something that goes against one of the requests that God makes. It would be like if I told you, George, I don't eat pork, and then you serve me salmon with some Brussels sprouts cooked in lard. Um, that might offend me if the very first meal you gave me when I showed up, right? Yeah. Um, now, I probably wouldn't shove the, the Brussels sprouts down your throat to the point that you die, you choke on them and die. You just um, never know. It's true. I get pretty angry. But God, the fire goes out and actually consumes Aaron's sons. Yeah. And we're left with the question, Why? Why such a strong reaction? People have done way worse things in the Bible and not been struck dead. David has a litany of things that could be listed as things that are way worse than lying about how much money he gave. Sure, but this all pre predates that, though. I mean, well, I'm, this Ice and Sapphira thing included right david did way worse things than ananias and sapphira oh yeah and doesn't get killed sure but um this is also the first time that i'm aware of that god has chosen to dwell in a community sure but god's dwelling with israel when david's king or am I misunderstanding what you're saying? No, I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is this is the first time that God has tried to enter into this type of communal relationship with humanity. So are we then to assume or imagine in some way that God's making an example of them? I think that you can, I don't, I don't like saying it that way. I would like to, I would prefer to say this was a very, um, harsh performance review for the first time you're performing a job. Um, but I, I suppose you could, you could say it that way that okay. God is making an example again, not comfortable saying it like that. Uh, yeah. But. I remember when I first moved into my house in, in a different part of Toledo uh, and we, we lived right, you know, where the houses were practically so close, you reach out your window and touch the house next to you or, our lot was like a postage stamp size. We were right in the city. And um, some kids as were unpacking when their bikes pull up. And they're like, can we ride our bike through your grass? And I was like, do you want to ride your bikes through my grass? And they're like, well, the last person that lived here said they would shoot us if we rode our bikes through your grass. And I'm like, well, do you want to? And they're like, no, not really. And I'm like, okay. 
and it was like a done conversation. But I could have set an example. Sure. If they would have rode their bikes to the yard, I could have ripped the bikes out, tossed them in the garbage and scolded the kids. And then I could be like, well, I, I was just setting an example as a new neighbor. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because we would say, which one would be more godly? The one that says, do you want to ride your bike through my yard? It's okay if you want to. Uh, or the one that says, no, I agree with the last neighbor. I, you know, I'll get my gun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The audio cut out here, but I just want to make sure that everybody knows Don doesn't actually own a gun. He said that, but the audio cut out. Anyway, back to Don. And it seems like God is like the other neighbor. The previous homeowner who was like, I will shoot you if you ride your bike through my yard. Yet we would say the more godly response is hopefully the way I responded. So how does all this gel? I have no idea, Don. I don't. Just because... You know, I remember your last Sunday at uh, New Harvest and uh, you had a um, ask the pastor and somebody asked you why uh, there's genocide in the text that God seems to be fine with. And your response was, I have no idea, but it's there. Yeah. Yep, it is there. So I want to encourage you and the listeners because I'm not going to tell you my thoughts on this. Uh, I believe that there are some really important things that we can pull out of this that is significant and helps us make sense. Though we might not agree with methodology, we might not agree with the process. But I think looking at Aaron's sons, comparing it that, you know, he's a Levite and how Aaron maybe even mourned about his sons might even be a good thing to look at. Hint, hint. Uh, The idea of Deuteronomy 15 in the year of the Lord uh, with Jubilee and this idea that there were no need amongst you if you do all that I've commanded you. The fact that Ananias and Sapphira seem to at least have taken on Greek names. So they're at the, at the least they're Hellenized Jews, but most likely they're not even Jewish. They're some of the first, maybe what you could call converts to straight to Messianic understanding versus converts to Judaism first, then to Christianity. Um, All of these things are really important for us to recognize and understand reading this. Um, It's also going to be important for us for setting up the next several chapters and understanding what God's expectations and hopes are for the people. Um, but I want, I want you. And when I say you, I'm saying you plural, the listeners to put in some work on this one, because here's where I get frustrated with progressive Christianity. We just skip the passages we don't like. And I know that not you can hashtag not all progressive Christians skip the passages they don't like. Um, but the, the reality is the more times, the more I'm around progressive Christianity, the more that I have recognized that people really do just skip complicated passages. And what George, you know, 
from knowing me for so long, I want to cultivate a space in which we say, I don't understand it, but I can't ignore it. Um, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me with what I read in other places of scripture about God's mercy, God's justice, God's compassion. But I believe those things to be true all the time. I believe those to be a constant of God. And therefore, how can I read this passage through a lens of God's mercy, justice, and compassion, even for Ananias and Sapphira, not just God's compassion for uh, the apostles and the early Christian or the early messianic movement, right? How can I read God's compassion with Aaron's sons? Those are all super important and powerful things that we need to learn how to do and not avoid. Um, and I want, instead of handing something to folks to tie up into a bow, I'd rather our folks wrestle with this and be stuck with having to process how is this the God that I've come to know who is inclusive and loving and desires equity and equality of all people. How does this fit? It looked like you were having some ideas or thoughts or was that just a random light bulb going off above? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it is flickering. Uh, it's not at full power yet. No, just uh couple rumblings maybe i'll share next week not fully formed enough to where i feel comfortable saying them out loud awesome yeah that's what i have because i really want to leave it on the doorstep of each person listening well that works out because we're about at our time so everybody if you have any thoughts on this episode um shoot us an email evangelrose at gmail.com we are also on patreon Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Evangel Bros, uh, which quick shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. We really would not be able to do this without you because you're keeping our lights on and we really appreciate that. Um, and we'll have some uh, Patreon exclusive content coming up soon. So all that being said, I'm your co-host, George. I'm your other co-host, Don. Have a great week, everyone. Yeah.